Amen. Now, a couple of quick things. Easter coming up, um, keep in mind that there are people who will come to church on Easter. They don't know why. They'll just come. Who don't come to church any other time. And that's family members. That's your neighbor. That's coworkers, people that you've been burdened about, that people you wish would meet the Lord. And if you say to them, uh, hey, would you come to our special Easter service? For some reason, they'll come. Do you know that every year we usually have about a 1,000 more people than usual? So maybe somebody you know will be one of those 1,000 this year. So I want to encourage you, be thinking, be praying, go, who could I invite? Who, who would come who won't come any other time? They might shock you and come, and they might get saved. Amen? Because we're going to go for it. We're going to go for souls. I mean, we're going to go for it. We're going to believe God to do it. Now, speaking of Easter, I'm beginning a, a series today. I'm just calling The Longest Journey. And what I want to do is I want to follow Jesus for the last 24 hours of his life before he went to the cross. Uh, and I want to, let me just read uh, out of Matthew 26 on um, the institution of the Lord's Supper, which we just did. And then let me explain to you where I'm going with this message. It says in Matthew 26, 17 and 25, Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And Jesus said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now when evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Today's message is called the table of betrayal. One of you are going to betray me. Verse 22, they were exceedingly sorrowful. Each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it, is it me? He answered and said, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. Verse 24 is scary. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Jesus said that. Now, if I'm Judas, I give up my plan right there. Right? But that shows you how blind he was. Because he continued on with it, as we know. But Jesus said it would be better for him if he hadn't even been born. Verse 25. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it me? Of course, he knew it was him. And Jesus said to him, you said it. Wow. You don't want Jesus ever speaking a woe over you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word today. And I pray that it cuts deep. And I pray that it cuts clean. And I pray that, Lord, you will help many people who are in this sanctuary who are suffering the sting of betrayal. I pray that you will reach into our inner man, into our souls, our minds our emotions, our memories, and heal us. Lord, I pray that there's a healing that happens in this sanctuary. Those watching by streaming video, those listening later on radio, I pray, reach out and touch them. With the healing touch, 
that only you can bring. And I thank you for it. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, I receive your word. Send your healing into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them there's a healer in the house today. Amen. There's a healer in the house today. Praise God. Now, let me give you a little background here in our text. The sun is setting outside, literally, as Jesus institutes the first Lord's table. And we're in the final stretch of his journey towards the cross. Now, from the time he was born, he knew he was going to the cross. Jesus always knew he was born to die. Unlike anybody that's ever been born, Jesus was literally born to die for the sins of mankind. He was utterly, completely, unprecedentedly unique. So he, he, he knew this hour was coming, but now this is the final 24-hour stretch. In mere hours, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be falsely accused and tried, and he's going to be crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning. Now, I want to take the next few weeks leading up to Easter weekend by following through the Lord's final hours. Because in the short time span between this Lord's Supper that he just instituted and that we just celebrated and the cross, Jesus is going to experience four great trials. And the reason that I want to pull these trials out and look at them is because they are the same kinds of trials you and I experience. And I'm going to show you that what he went through, we go through. But because he went through it, he released healing to us when we go through it. Amen. Here's the four great trials. The table of betrayal, the Lord's Supper. The garden of decision, the garden of Gethsemane. The trial of lies, where he was taken through kangaroo court and the crowd who had hosannaed him just before this, turned on him. And then the cross and the resurrection. So the table, the garden, the trial, and the cross. Those are the four places Jesus experienced a great trial and went through it. And because he went through it, again, he released healing to us. Now let me talk to you about the table of betrayal. Knowing that he's only hours away from his hour of great suffering, Jesus gathers his disciples into an upper room and he institutes the first Lord's Supper. He wants, to be, he, he wants to be certain that he is remembered, that you and I never forget he gave his body for us and he gave his blood for us. He said, I want you to do this often in remembrance of me. Do it often. So we never forget. And we here at Turning Point do it once a month. And, and uh, some smaller groups do it by themselves in our church. But as a church, we do it at least once a month because we want to remember what he did. What did he do? He gave his body so that we could be healed. He gave his blood so that we could be forgiven. Thank God for the body. Thank God for the blood. Amen? Now, this is the way Luke recorded it. Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. That's solemn. What a solemn thing to say. Guys, I'm about to die for you, and I'm about to uh, shed my blood for you. It's about to happen. I need a little more monitor, please. And so when he said, One of you is going to betray me, 
It sent shockwaves through the group. If you can imagine, it's only the 12 and him. And Jesus says, guess what? Right in the middle of this sacred, solemn ceremony, Jesus says, guys, one of you is going to betray me. It just stunned the whole group. And they began to be sorrowful, the Bible says. And they began to say to him one by one, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And then Jesus clarified what he meant. He said, it's one of the 12. It's one of you that I handpicked. It's one of you that I called out. It's one of you that have been following me these three years and some change. It's one of you are going to betray me. Now, to them, this seemed completely impossible. And it does seem impossible. It's hard to believe. How could one of the 12 do such a thing? Had they not all heard the greatest teacher to ever grace the planet for over three years? He spoke like no man ever spoke. He taught like no man ever taught. He was incredible to listen to. When Jesus spoke, they sat in stunned amazement. He spoke with power. He spoke with anointing. He spoke, the Bible says, with authority. Had they not all witnessed, all 12 of these men, the dead raised, the possessed of demons delivered, the multitudes fed, the blind received sight, the deaf ears opened. They had seen these things in real time, standing there. They watched it. They saw it. Had they not all stood in amazement? As Jesus came to them walking on water, Judas saw this. Judas saw him walking on water coming towards them. Or when he stood to rebuke a storm that instantly submitted to his voice. Peace be still. And the waves quit their rolling and the wind stopped its howling. They all saw it. They were all there. How could somebody who had witnessed all these things possibly betray the Lord? But Judas did. He did. Now, I want to remind you that Jesus was human. We we like to say this. He was all man, all God, all God, all man. We don't understand that. It's hard to reconcile that with logic. But the Bible says he was all God, all man, all man, all God. He was fully human, but he never sinned. Can you imagine living a life where you never had to look up and say, Father, forgive me, I shouldn't have done that. Oops, gosh. Lord, I I sin. Forgive me. Jesus never once repented of sin because he never sinned. He was a sinless sacrifice so that a sinless man could die for sinful people. Yeah. But Jesus, as all human, felt pain. He felt sorrow. We know that he did. He, He wept. Jesus wept. We're told that. Shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. Being human, he felt pain. He felt rejection. He he grieved over people's unbelief. He experienced joy. The Bible shows Jesus experiencing all these different human emotions. So I guarantee you, when Judas betrayed him, he felt it. And his experience with Judas reminds me that nothing stings like betrayal. Nothing, Nothing sticks us quite like betrayal. Now, in one night, keep in mind, in one night, two of the twelve will, will do something that, that hurts him, even though he knew it was coming. Peter denied him in the same night. I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. And the third time, he denied him with cursing. It says that. 
And Jesus was taken out right when, when Peter uttered the third denial with cursing. His eyes met Jesus. I can't imagine that look. I hope I never have to experience that look. And so Jesus felt that. But see, Peter's denial was not as bad as Judas's betrayal. Because Peter denied him, but he didn't try to hurt him. But Judas betrayed him with all the intention of hurting him. Nothing shocks your soul worse than when the friend becomes the foe or the brother becomes the betrayer. It hurts. And we live in a betraying world. If you're in here and you've never been betrayed, I want to meet you at the end of the service and I want you to lay hands on me. (laughs) Tell me how you've managed. Because everybody in here has been betrayed at one time or another and nothing hurts like betrayal. The Bible records all kinds of betrayals. That's why I'm calling this the table of betrayal. Because the Lord's Supper, right in the middle of the first Lord's Supper, was a major betrayal going down. Many stories of betrayal in the Bible. Joseph had his brothers who betrayed him. David had his Absalom who turned on him. Paul had his Demas who forsook him. And Jesus had his Judas who sold him out. Betrayal all through the Bible. And King David powerfully describes his own heartbreaking experience with betrayal in Psalms 55. Listen to this. He said, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it's you. Now catch this. It's you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God. As we walked about among the worshipers, listen to what he's saying here. David is saying, what stabs me to my core, it's not a stranger attacking me, but it's a close friend, somebody I trusted my secrets to, somebody I fellowshiped with, worshiped with, went to church with, laughed with, enjoyed life with, somebody close to me, we were knitted, we were knitted, you were like a, a soulmate to me, we had a friendship. It was close. You knew my stuff. I knew your stuff. There were were no secrets between us. This is what David is saying. He's saying, if I never thought that anybody would betray me, I never thought you would. Because we went into the house of God together. We stood and we worshiped God together. And, and, And now it's you. It's you that turned on me. Now he's talking about Ahithophel. Ahithophel had been David's top counselor. And Ahithophel, when Absalom, which was another betrayal of David... When Absalom, David's son, had turned against him and committed mutiny and tried to take the kingdom away from David, Ahithophel defected and went with Absalom. And that's what stuck him so bad. Not only did you you betray me, but you betrayed me with my own son. Stick, turn the knife, stick, turn the knife. This is what Jesus must have felt with his very own uh, disciple, When Judas turned on him, and he did it in the worst possible way. He did it exquisitely. He did it in a a way that you couldn't hardly make it much worse. Because like Joseph was sold for money into slavery, Judas sold Jesus out for 30 silver coins. Chump change. Jesus was worth nothing more to Judas than a few bucks after all this time. After all he'd seen. After all he'd heard. And you know that Jesus loved him. He turned on him. And to top off his betrayal, he did it with a cruel twist. Judas had told Jesus' enemies, whomever I kiss, 
He's the one seizing. We call it the Judas kiss. How many of you have ever had a Judas kiss? Okay. The rest of you are just lying in church. That means somebody you love, somebody you cared about, uh, betrayed you, and it's a Judas kiss. Now, Judas had told, had told the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests, when we go to get him, if you don't know which one he is, watch me. And so as soon as they got there holding their torches, and there's Jesus and the disciples in the vicinity of the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas made a beeline for Jesus and kissed him on the cheek. And the soldiers descended on him. As soon as he did that. Now I want to point out some things that are going to help you today. I want you to first of all see that Jesus suffered for us. And let me, I want to get a truth over to you today. Please understand that in Jesus' sufferings, and there were a whole lot of different ways Jesus suffered. In his sufferings, we are healed. Every place Jesus suffered... We have had healing released to us because Jesus suffered in our stead that particular kind of suffering. In all the ways that Jesus suffered, he did so that in turn we could be made whole. That's why I say there's a healer in the house today. And some of you are going to get healed in your soul. Some of you are going to realize later today you've been healed in your body. You might already know it. But, but there's a healer in the house today. And I want you to see that because he was betrayed, we can be healed from the sting and the wound and the pain of betrayal because Jesus was betrayed in our place. Now, let me name a few of the ways he suffered that released healing to us. First of all, in his physical sufferings, he brought healing to us. The Bible says in Isaiah, with his stripes, we are healed. Everybody say it with me, if I am then I am. With his stripes, you are healed. We are healed. Peter said the same thing. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Not just your body, but your soul, your mind, your emotions, your marriage, your home, your finances. The closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to a healing. There's a healer in the house today. When Jesus died on that cross, it says he took our sins on himself. Guess the, Watch this now. That we might die to living a sinful lifestyle. When Jesus died on that cross, he empowered us. To live a life where we're not bound to a sinful lifestyle. And when they whipped him with his stripes, somehow, some way, God healed us. But that's not the only way. In his spiritual sufferings, he brought spiritual riches to us. The Bible says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Oh, that is so good, folks. And he's not talking about money. He's talking about spiritual riches. See, Jesus in heaven laid aside what he had. He stepped off of his throne. He laid aside the joy, laid aside the bliss, laid aside the glory, laid aside the worship of angels, laid all the spiritual riches aside, and Jesus condescended. He stepped down, and the Bible says he condescended and became a man. But it doesn't stop there. He stepped down again, and he became a servant. 
But then he stepped down again. And he allowed sinful man who he had created to beat him and abuse him. And then he stepped down again and went all the way to the cross for us. So the Bible says, having stepped down and down and down and down again, he's been raised up, up, up. And up again, so that he is Lord of lords, King of kings, name above every name that is named, in heaven and earth and under the earth. God exalted him, but he stepped down and he suffered for us so that we could be rich. Let me tell you something. If there's a, just think of some billionaires you know of in the world today. And I want to tell you, they may have a billion dollars, but when they die, they're not taking one dime of it with them. If you are saved, you're richer than a billionaire on earth because you've got spiritual riches, the peace of God, the joy of the Lord, peace with God, salvation, a born-again nature. I was talking to somebody this week, and they were very upset that they had not gotten money back from their taxes. And I said, well, surely you know you don't trust the government to come through for you most of the time. Most of the time, the government will let you down. But I said, let me tell you something. You've got incredible reason to be thankful because you're richer than people who have a billion dollars because you know Jesus, because you are saved. And he became poor that we might be rich. Every person in here right now who is a child of God, you are, according to the Bible, rich. You're rich in faith. You're rich in joy. You're rich in salvation. You're rich in power. You're rich in relationship with God. Rich, 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 rich. You're rich. So he became poor spiritually so that I could be rich spiritually. You can say, Jeff, are you a rich man? I am a rich man. I am rich. Now, I'm not talking about money. But I am so rich every morning when I get up and get into the Word of God. I feel so rich. I feel like I am, I feel like I am reading liquid honey. It goes down into my soul. And it fills me with the wisdom of God and the joy of the Lord and the peace of God. And I have fellowship with Him. And it is such a beautiful thing because I walk with Him and I talk with Him. And He tells me that, he, that I am His own. I am my beloved's and He is mine. His banner over me is love. And when I stand up for my prayer time, I feel like a rich man. Come on, everybody. Let's try this. I want you to say with me together, I am rich in the things of God. Say with me, Jesus became poor so that I would be rich. Now tell your neighbor, I'm rich. I'm rich. Just tell your neighbor, I'm rich. You are rich. So Jesus suffered physically for me so that I could be healed. Jesus suffered spiritually for me, giving up what he had. So that I could be rich. And in his dying suffering, he brought deliverance from death to me and to you. Listen to Hebrews. We do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned, crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for every one. That's why Jesus said, he that believes on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that believes on me shall have everlasting life. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever puts their faith in him will not perish, but will live forever and forever and forever. Will will have eternal life. He suffered death so that I don't have to eternally die. 
So over and over again, we see this. We catch this. We see this beautiful, merciful, grace-filled trade-off with the sufferings of Jesus. He suffered so that we could be healed. He lost so that we could find. He gave up spiritual riches so that we might gain them. And he died so that we might live. Trade, 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 trade. Where he suffered, I benefited. And likewise, folks, he suffered betrayal so that we could be healed of the wounds of betrayal. Some of you who came into church today, you're hurting on the inside. Somebody betrayed you, somebody wronged you, a spouse, a friend, a child, a parent, a church member, hurt you, betrayed you, offended you. And, and you've got a little button on the inside of you that is like a rewind button. And you keep rewinding the way that you were hurt, the way that you were betrayed, how it all went down, what they said, what they did. And, and in the inside, you're bleeding. Listen, your soul can bleed just like your body can bleed. And on the inside, you're hurting. Somebody walked out on you. Somebody, somebody went behind your back. Somebody broke the bond of loyalty. And it hurts. And you're stinging. And it's affecting your walk with God. I'm here to tell you that Jesus suffered that betrayal so that you and I could be free from the wounds of betrayal. And so how do you do it? How do you do it? Well, there's two ways, two simple ways that Jesus stayed free from the wound of betrayal, and so can we. The first thing, you got to forgive like he did. you got to forgive like he did. Think with me a minute. When Judas kissed the face, of the Lord of glory. I cannot imagine facing God having done that. He kissed the face of the Lord of glory, God's only begotten lamb. Kissed his face. In the worst betrayal in all of history. I want you to look at what Judas, or rather Jesus said to Judas. Look what he said. He said, friend, friend, do what you have come for. Friend, can I be honest with you today? You betray me with a kiss. Last thing coming out of my mouth to you is friend. But I want you to notice what Jesus, see, Jesus knew this was coming. And one thing we not, you and I need to learn is that when it comes to forgiveness, you've got to be preemptive. You have to preemptively decide that when, not if, but when somebody hurts me, when somebody offends me, when somebody betrays me, I have already preemptively decided I am not going to hold a grudge. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to take vengeance. I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm going to forgive. He said, friend. Now, the word friend here is taken from a Greek word that means companion. He literally looks at Judas and says, companion. You know what we learned from that? Jesus was free. In his heart. From the wound of betrayal. Notice the total lack of anger or any self-defense or any vengeance in Jesus' response. It was Jesus himself who taught us one time. He said, listen, out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth will speak. Now, that lets me know that if Jesus had not forgiven him, friend could not have come out of his mouth. Out of the abundance of Jesus' heart, he spoke. And he said, friend, that tells me he's looking at Judas like, I know what's coming to you. I really hate what's coming to you, but nobody is going to make me get off track from my purpose in God. Let me tell you something, folks. I have a resolve. Nobody is worth my destiny. 
No offense is worth my call. Nobody is worth derailing me from what God has called me to do. And so I've already made up my mind. You can't make me hate you. You can't make me not forgive you. I have forgiveness in my power. You can do all kinds of things against me, but one thing you can't stop me from doing is forgiving you. I will forgive you because not because you deserve it, but because I need it so that I can go on down and finish the call of God. You've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. So in his darkest hour, Jesus forgave his betrayer. Now, let me tell you something about life. Please listen. Whether or not you fulfill God's plan for your life depends greatly on your ability to forgive. Because the devil knows how easily people get offended and how easily we hold grudges, how easily we take vengeance, how easily we want to take matters into our own hands. And so the devil will try to get us offended to derail us and detour us from the call of God. But here's the deal. Jesus saw through it. And his forgiveness and his victory over his betrayer and the betrayal released the same victory to you and to me. So that we also have grace to forgive. Grace to go on. So everybody say forgive. If you're going to get over betrayal, you've got to be a forgiver like Jesus. Now the second thing, you've got to trust your betrayers to God. There's only two options available to you and me when we get betrayed, when somebody really, really wrongs us. There's only two options we have. We can take vengeance or we can give our betrayer to God. We can take vengeance or we can leave vengeance to God. But either way, we're going to do one of those two. And you know how Christians take vengeance. They're slicker than worldly people because we know that we're supposed to be spiritual. So what we do is When somebody betrays us or hurts us in the church, what we do is we run down their reputation. We run them down. We criticize them. We say things about them that we shouldn't say. Or in church, we give them the look, the look when they come walking in. You know, you got somebody over here who has been hurt and somebody over here who, who uh, is the hurt-er, the, the, the betrayer. And the one who's been hurt gives them a look when they come walking in that freezes the whole sanctuary. It's the look. We take vengeance in little ways. We, we take vengeance in crafty ways. But it's still vengeance. But if we don't forgive, folks, if we don't forgive, vengeance will follow in our wake. There's no way around it. Amen. Listen to what the Bible says. Beloved, don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. I will repay. Sometimes I said, Lord, you, you said you'd repay. Where is it? But I will repay says the Lord. Now notice these words, give place to wrath. What does he mean? Here's what, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, when, when you're betrayed, you've got an offender and you're the offended. Jesus says, if you don't forgive them, then, then you're in my way from dealing with them. And when you forgive them, you're giving place God is essentially in this verse saying, get out of my way, get out of my way. If you will forgive and get out of my way, I will deal with the offender. But as long as you're standing there angry, holding a grudge, taking vengeance, I can't deal with the situation. you got to get out of the way. When I was uh, in junior high, I had a bully that was after me. I was a skinny little guy. I'm just going to tell you right now. I was a skinny little guy. I was not physically formidable, but I could talk good. 
And so I learned to lean on talking to get myself out of situations because physically I was not very tough. And, and, and there was this bully. He set his sights on me and he began to say to me um, every single day after school, I'm going to find you, Wickwire, and I'm going to get you. And I'm going to beat you up. Now, he used language I can't quote in church. But I had a bully. And, and so every day, I was sneaking out of the school through some side door, running through the creek. I remember running through that creek, going under one of the little sewer pipes, coming out on the other side and going home and dodging the bully. And one day, a guy in school who I knew named Big Jim. He was called Big Jim because he was big and his name was Jim. And he was tall and he was muscular. And he said to me, hey, Wickwire, what, what's the matter? Well, how come you're leaving like you do every day? And what is that guy saying to you? And I told him, he said, listen, today you leave with me. And, and, and if he comes up, you just let me handle it. I said, okay, Big Jim. <laughs> so that day we walked out the main doors. And I'm right next to Big Jim. And here comes my bully, right? And he sees Big Jim. And Big Jim stepped in front of me and said to him, what's up? What are you doing? You know what the bully did? He said, see you later, and he left. And I learned something. When you can't fight your own battles, find a big gym. Now, let me tell you what God is saying here. Let me tell you what God is saying here. What God is saying here, he's saying, when, when you are betrayed, get out of the way and let big Jesus handle the situation. Let big Jesus handle the situation. Because as soon as I forgive... And get out of the way, big Jesus steps into the situation. And the devil's not afraid of me, but he's real afraid of big Jesus. And as soon as he sees big Jesus, he says, see you later. I've learned to do it. I learned it as a teenager with big Jim. Now it's big Jesus. I send Jesus to the door all the time. Devil comes knocking on the door. I send big Jesus to the door. He handles the devil. I hide behind him all the time. What about you? You say, well, Jesus is just a crutch to you. Oh, yes, I admit it. He's a crutch, and I'm happy for him to be my crutch. That's all right with me. Jesus had already said about Judas, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. What is Jesus saying? I've given him over to God. God would handle Judas at the judgment, and so Jesus refused to entertain any thoughts of his own personal vengeance. Peter said of Jesus, when he, Jesus, suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. That's powerful. When men came against Jesus and betrayed him, Jesus said, they're yours and I'm yours. And, and God, you're bigger than all of this and I'm going to trust you to handle this situation and handle my enemies, and I'm leaving it to you, and I'm going to go on down and do the will of God. And so he died on the cross. If he had failed here, he would have never made it to the cross. Folks, if you live on earth as a human being, you're going to experience betrayal. Jesus said, it's impossible that offenses will not come. So when the offense of betrayal comes, remember, Jesus suffered betrayal for us to make the way for us to be healed from the wounds of betrayal. Can we stand together? And I want you to say something with me. When I'm betrayed, forgive them and give them to God.
Forgive them and give them to God. I've given a lot of people to God. Do you know that Turning Point Church would not be here if we had not learned long ago, you've got to forgive. And if you can't forgive, you won't be able to progress. And Kathy and I, when Kathy was here, we had to forgive people. We had to forgive a pretty good bunch of people. But we forgave. And only when we forgave did things go into motion and Turning Point was born. Turning Point is really here because, one reason is because we forgave. If we hadn't forgiven, we would have never been able to go down the road and do God's will. You got to forgive. Nobody's worth your call. Amen? No offense is worth your destiny. So let's lift our hands to the Lord. You've been betrayed, you've been hurt. I want you to say this with me to Jesus. Let's let the healer loose right now. Say, Jesus, I give to you my betrayer, my offender. I forgive them. Say it again. I forgive them. And I give them to you. I get out of the way so that you can deal with the situation. Father, I pray that as they have prayed this prayer, people who have been bleeding and hurt on the inside, that one that abused them, that one that stuck them in the back, that one that wronged them, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray that you will reach in right now as we forgive and give them to God. You will reach in and heal. Heal that wound. Heal that inner bleeding. Heal that offense. Heal that crippled soul that they would walk upright and their feet would get on the path of God's destiny for them once again. We thank you, Lord. Nobody can stop us from forgiving. In Jesus' name. Now raise your hands and let the Lord touch you right now as we just worship for a moment. And Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He was. Sing it now. Sing it again. Jesus paid it. And think of that betrayal he experienced. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If the Lord touched you today, give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. How many of you have ever had a big gym helping you out? How many of you have discovered that there really is a big Jesus? Amen. Amen. Who Who will help you out. Amen. And I thank God that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. So good to see all of you. Now, let me quickly say, first of all, my prayers. Will my prayers please come down? 
and we're going to get ready to pray for people. Even though we close out the service, we're not finished ministering. And if you need prayer, we want you to come down and let us agree with you in prayer and uh, take advantage of the prayer of agreement. Okay. But now this Wednesday night, I'm going to be dealing with one of the, one of the questions we're doing tough questions, tough answers to tough questions. One of the questions, um, what does the Lord say about Bible translations? That is, is my translation a good one? Now, you may say, well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Oh, you can't believe how many people think that Jesus spoke in King James English. They just really believe Jesus said, you know, thee, thou, wouldest, shouldest, couldest, that he talked that way. And uh, there are people who believe that the King James Bible is the only Bible you should ever look at. Uh, There's people that wonder, do I have a good translation? Do I have a good Bible version? Bring your Bible, and I'm going to tell you if it's good or bad. Okay? And and, and let me just tell you up front, I'm not King James only, but still come anyway. Because I'm going to talk to you about that. We're just going to learn, okay? Wednesday night, I'm going to sit on a stool right here. And we have a great time on Wednesday nights. And I'm so thrilled to be back teaching on Wednesday nights. So don't miss it, all right? That's this Wednesday night. And I think that's it. So we're going to... Now, I want to go to the back. And I'm going to go to this door. And I want to greet many of you that I've never been able to say hello to. And I want to uh, meet you, some of you, for the first time. I've been meeting people at the door that have been coming here years and have never met me. Well, I'm going to go back there and meet you. So... Scott is going to give a shout, but he's not going to do it until I'm back there. So you're going to sing one more time, Jesus paid it all, and give me time to get back there. And we love you, and we thank God for all of you. We'll see many of you Wednesday night. Amen.